Hi again, Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the editor-in-chief of the journal, coming to you today from one of those delightful northern versus southern hemisphere experiences where I'm happily moving into much warmer weather and have the great opportunity to speak with a colleague who's moving into much colder weather. Mike Tweed is the voice you're going to hear momentarily. He's a convener of assessment for the medical program at the University of Otago in New Zealand. And of course, if any of you know anything about Canada, you appreciate that moving into colder weather in New Zealand is very much a relative statement because I'm sure it's still quite pleasant there. We decided to have this conversation, though, to talk about a paper that Mike and colleagues have coming out in the August 2021 issue of Medical Education, entitled Randomized Control Trial of Students Having Access to Resources in an Examination. Welcome, Mike, and congratulations on New Zealand's response to the pandemic and the glorious day you appear to be having today. Yeah, thank you, Kevin. So, yeah, I can't take any credit whatsoever <laughs> to the, the uh, pandemic, and there's lots of brighter people than me sorting that out from New Zealand. I suppose you can't take credit for the weather either, but <laughs> nonetheless, I'm sure it feels like a very positive state in both cases. So, wanted to chat with you today. In- part because it's just an interesting issue in general that's been discussed for ages about whether or not resources should be made available to students in examinations. But it's clearly a particularly timely issue right now as the pandemic has caused so many educational and assessment activities to move online. And in the latter case, obviously, that creates a variety of security issues if we're trying to control what resources students use. Is this something that came about for you because of that pandemic-related transition, or have you been thinking about this issue for some time now? Firstly, I'd like to just acknowledge Jen and Tim, who are my co-authors on this paper, but this actually started for us long before COVID, in that we came at this from the perspective of wanting to be as authentic as possible to clinical practice, that we as practicing clinicians were looking at our normal practice and also looking at how we assess the students. And one obvious factor is that as a clinician when you don't know something you can either ask someone or look it up and that is considered appropriate and best practice and yet in exams we don't let the students indicate they would ask someone or even to look something up so our perspective was about authenticity to clinical practice as opposed to as a response to the pandemic but as you say that since we've done this work that the pandemic has come along and changed the way in which we're assessing people. And one of the ways that is now becoming more prevalent is this thought about should we be allowing open sort of resource to the students or not? Mm-hmm. And it's got a variety of aspects to that question, not just validity aspects, but feasibility and preparatory behaviours and, and everything else. What was your priority in terms of what worries you most about the potential problems with moving to a more open format? One of the things that this was probably four years ago, we thought we might start heading in this direction. And that's when we investigated where we were, especially if we're going to use it for high stakes assessments. How could we ensure, as you've mentioned, to run it appropriately and also to raise questions about the standard setting because there was an assumption that we all thought students are going to achieve better because we're giving them access to resources and therefore 
we might need to rethink our standard setting. So that was one aspect we came from. And also it was as a feasibility test, really, that can you have assessments that when you do allow open resources, because the way we framed it in terms of authenticity, the two o'clock in the morning, it's easy to look something up in clinical practice and appropriate to. It's easy sometimes if you're unsure that you would be calling your senior, but what you can't do is talk to five or six mates usually. And it was that how do we allow people access to resources, but does not have all the students going onto a discussion board talking about uh, what the answers are. And we sort of framed that as being equivalent to clinical practice in that if you see a patient, you don't know what's sure with them. You don't go onto a, Facebook or something and ask all your friends uh, oh, I've just seen someone with this these problems what do you all think and so it was just really sort of carrying on with that authenticity perspective. And so with that in mind what were the parameters or constraints that you set upon students in this study with respect to how they were able to access other resources? They could access anything that from the point of view of so at the hospitals, we have uh, online uh, formularies and on also there's things like up-to-date is possible through the hospital. They could also access any of the university and hospital library websites. And so it was any resource that would be reasonably open to them in clinical practice. But what we didn't allow them was access to communication websites at all. So any form of communication, whether it was spoken or electronic, wasn't allowed so this is slightly different as you mentioned at the start the people going to uninvigilated open resource exams which is what's happened as a response to covid these were still invigilated but they're open resource so in other words the students they could look up whatever they wanted what they couldn't do was access any communication Mm. Got it. Right. Okay. And it's hard enough to do a randomized controlled trial in a real educational setting like this, where you might compare one version of an assessment to another. Even harder, I imagine, to do it in what you've labeled as a high stakes assessment setting. How did you manage to do that? The actual research wasn't within the format of a high stakes. This was as a preparation for high stakes. So we set it up as if it would be a high stakes. So in fact, it did serve as a proof of concept of could we do this, an, you know, an invigilated open access with no communication. And as far as we could tell by looking at what the students accessed on the browsers, that we allowed them to have two browsers. So they had the one that the exam was running on, and then they had one that they could use to, use to access things. And as far as we're aware that none of them attempted to vary the system or sort of cheat the system, of course, it might be different if the stakes became much higher. But still where we intend to be heading towards is looking at how can we deliver, making it more realistic and authentic, as well as the benefits in terms of the pressure that the students feel as well. Because you could argue that the fact that we say to students, you can't look anything up, that actually that increases the pressure on them and makes it more likely to cheat, but in slightly different ways. Mm. Right. And so the other 
key aspect of the RCT, though, is that you used a crossover design. Can you explain to our listeners how that played out? So we had a pool of 80 questions that we divided into two tests of 40. And then the students were randomized such that they either had one pool or the other pool first, and then they either had access to open resources first or second. So effectively, we ended up with four streams. You either had pool A first or pool B first, and then you either got open resource first or you got normal exam first. So that was how we managed to remove anything that may be affected, such as whether you had open resource first or second, or whether it was something through the question pool that you got. Mm-hmm. And where did it lead? Let's take away the suspense and yeah. tell people how that actually played out. The first thing, we also had a panel of five experienced angle setters. Also, I would point out they were five closed resource experienced uh, angle setters who set pass marks, and we asked them to do it envisaging the students were in an open and closed environment. And what we found was that pretty consistently, the Angoff standard setters thought that it would be easier for the students. In other words, the pass mark would be higher. Mm-hmm. And, but when it actually came to the exam, that the students didn't score significantly higher at all when they had open resources. But because the standard setters had set it higher, we actually got a lower pass rate. So this was a surprise for us, that the students didn't actually score any higher when they had access to the resources. How do you account for that, given the observations that you made? There's probably more than one reason why this is. One is how accessible the answers were to the questions that were set, because effectively, if you just took the question and put it into Google, and if the answer came up straight away, that would mean that having online resources would make it easier. But if you've got a clinical scenario with some history and some examinations some investigation findings that you can't put that into Google to suddenly spew out what the answer is. And it's interesting that some of the standard setters anecdotally said, oh, but you could look it up. But the point was that they were asking the right question when it got put into uh, Mm. Google. So they were using all their clinical experience to know what the right question was. Whereas to the students who didn't know the right question, you couldn't just put the entire history in and then get the answer. Right, right. So the search yeah. itself, the quality of it is dependent on the yeah. knowledge that they need to answer the exam. Yeah. So looking it up can be appropriate. We need to know what the right question to ask is. And that in itself is something to perhaps investigate in the future. So what we did find was that when your students had open resources, they actually took longer to answer the questions as well. So obviously the students were looking things up and they, we did a survey of them. They did say they were looking things up. So this actually increased the length of time they took and they actually felt that actually having the open resources created time pressure for them. So they were more time pressured and they found they couldn't look things up easily. So there was no sort of increase in the score overall. Mm. And did that, lead them to like it less or what were the students perspectives in terms of preference the students felt it was more authentic and less stressful from the point of view of an assessment but they did feel there was time pressure so in fact because we did ask them if we were to use this in a high stakes exam what would you think about it and some of them said well there'd be less shall we call it 
preparation pressure, but there'd be more time pressure actually during the test itself. And quite interestingly, when we actually said we're going to do this, there was an entire spread of students as to whether they thought high stakes exams should include access to resources or not, which is an interesting point because we already have sort of limited access even now within some of our high stakes assessments in terms of providing drug formularies for access to students in some assessments. But the students were totally widely spread in their thoughts on whether they thought they would like it or not. So when you look across those various bits of evidence, what have you decided to do moving forward? One thing that did come out was that there's benefits of having open and closed potentially. And one reason for having closed for us personally is that we are in several benchmarking projects And one of the criteria of that benchmarking project is that you're actually a closed resource invigilated setting. And so since we think there's lots of benefits in being in those benchmarking uh, projects, we're going to continue with some assessment that's closed resource and invigilated. That our other assessments or some of the other assessments, we are going to move to potentially open resource, but still invigilated. So that's where we're going to be looking to heads towards and this is part of our drive when we're looking at the trying to make our assessments as authentic to clinical practice as possible right so choosing one or the other dependent on the context and the goals as opposed to that one is necessarily always better that in clinical practice you can't look up everything all the time Mm -hmm. and either because this is just not efficient and that you've got to be able to know some things without having to look it up. Equally, there are times when it is inappropriate to look it up. So if you're in the middle of a consultation with someone, you couldn't sort of say, oh, can we just, I've just got to look up how to break bad news because this would just not be appropriate. And so you do have to have some things that you can do without looking it up. But equally, for two different people, the things they need to look up might be different. So you have to look up some stuff, but that what I need to look up, what someone else needs to look up might be very different. And it's that principle that for the vast majority of things, it doesn't matter what you'd need to look up. And it's actually knowing that you need to look it up is the important thing. And then knowing how to, where to find that information and what questions to ask. Yeah. Well, and it's such an important topic as we talked about at the top and there aren't many studies where we right within the data set you see the value of collecting empirical evidence like this because the intuitions of your examiners you know clearly didn't align with the performance of your students and so being able to have engaged in this work and draw some conclusions about where to go based on real evidence is fantastic obviously that's why the field is here and you're contributing very positively to it so congratulations i hope it continues to play out so well for you For those who want more of the details than we have time to cover today, I'll just remind you that we've been discussing a paper entitled Randomized Control Trial of Students Having Access to Resources in an Examination, and you'll find it in the August 2021 issue of Medical Education with Mike Tweed as the first author. Thanks again, Mike, and good luck with the looming winter. Thank you. 